So let's think about family for a moment. We have the baby years when they're little bitty, and, you know, those are sleepless, tired, tired years for the parents, right? And we're just thinking, oh, if I can just get them, get them a little bit older, I'm going to be okay if I can just get them there. So then we have the toddler years, the glorious, wonderful toddler years. And we're even more tired and we're more frustrated. And then we look forward to the years later and we say, if I could just get down the road a little bit more. But here's the reality. The reality is this. Family turmoil can actually increase as our children get older. As their age gets older, the turmoil, the conflict, it all increases because it doesn't get more simple Things get more complicated. It's just the way it works. And, and in fact, learning to walk is much, much less stressful than your teenager learning to drive. Right? Uh, uh, potty training is so much easier than the family daughter who's beginning to date some dork at the high school. Right? <laughs> Yeah, some of you are those dorks, <laughs> and they married you, right? I'm one of those, I guess, too. I, it's it's so much it's it's uh, it's so much easier to to learn and teach to te- not to learn <laughs> to learn your child to teach your child how to take a bath on their own than it is to have a teenager who's kind of headed down the wrong path following some friends, right? And some of you are saying, I know exactly what you're talking about, Harley, because my teenager is the one leading them all down that path. I know what you're talking about. You see, issues in our lives with our families and our children, they get more complicated as our children grow and as things go. And here, here's the truth. Our daily lives with our children that we have, those lives that we have today, that can lead to a future that has a wonderful wonderful time, a future with you and your child as an adult child. But our daily lives with them right now can also lead to your adult child being estranged from you. It can happen. Let me give you an example. I have in my own life planted so many seeds for so many years of being a workaholic and guess what those seeds grew and I am I am harvesting those seeds that I planted of me being a workaholic I'm harvesting those in my family that's a reality that's true and guess what I planted many many seeds during the season where there was some great depression in my life and I am harvesting those seeds and what I've planted now in my life That is true. Those seeds I planted are playing a major role in what I could call my own personal horror story right now. And possibly the same is true for you in your life. You see, some of you have some adult children, and maybe those children are facing some things that they have kind of carried over from the years when maybe they were living in your home. Maybe you have some children in your home right now, and those children are watching you. They're watching you and how you deal with life or how you don't deal with life. And you're planting seeds into their lives right now. 
some of you are those adult children. And you would say, yes, Harley, you're right. Some of my family life is difficult today because of some things that happened when I was a child in my parents' home. And some of those decisions that they made are some, when I was younger are some things I'm dealing with today. It's interesting how family and how life works. Let me catch you up on where we're headed today with this epic tale that we're discovering about this guy named David. So let me catch you up. Israel, this nation through whom God said, I'm going to call you my own and from you I'm going to tell my love story to the world through this nation. The nation is Israel and they were begging God for a king. See, God was their king. But they began begging God, we want a king. Now the truth is, God had planned for them to have a king, but this was not the time, and the king God planned for them was not even alive yet, was not yet born. But they said, we want a king. So God said, okay, you're really bugging me. I'm going to give you exactly what you're asking for. I'll give you a king. They gave him a king. They gave them a king named Saul. And Saul quickly was bad news for Israel. And so during that time, the king that David, uh, that God had chosen, his name was David, he was born and he was a boy and God went ahead and anointed him as the next king, but he could not be king until Saul died. And so David spent the first 30 years of his life running from King Saul who was trying to kill David. After about 30 years, then Saul finally did die, and David became king, not yet of all of Israel, but of a part of Israel. He became king of a part of Israel, and he set up his kingdom. It was uh, uh, centered from this town called Hebron, and from there, that's where David ruled part of Israel, and it was for about 20 years. During that 20 years, it was a good time for David. I mean, things were going well, and he was a good king, being victorious, good things were happening. In fact, David had six children. He had six children from six different wives, and he had kind of somewhere around 10 other concubines. And this 20 years of life, it was pretty good for David, good victory. Eventually, he did become king of all of Israel, and he moved his uh, headquarters at that time to Jerusalem. And that's where he centered his life from that point on. Now, you're saying, wow, that just, Harley, that doesn't sound like a real-life horror story to me. I mean, that sounds like a great life to me so far. And uh, Hang on, it all changes right now. You see, something begins to change for David. Something goes wrong at this point. We begin to see David, the king, who is king now of all of Israel, he begins to abandon some of his responsibilities as a king, and he res- abandons some of his responsibilities even as a father. He, the Bible says here in Jerusalem he gets even more wives. They don't name them, but he says more wives and more children. See, God had given him a command All the way back in Deuteronomy, way before there was ever like the nation of Israel, as it was just beginning, God gave him a command. The day I give you a king, your king needs to be careful. Don't don't have a lot of wives. And I guess for David, I guess this 16 to 20 wives, I guess he's like, that's not too many, is it? I mean, 20. Rhymes with Twinkie. Can't have too many Twinkies. So he kind of ignores that. And then we also see here, we see 
in Second Samuel, we see this, some things begin to play out. Um, here's how it goes. David at this point is almost 50 years old. And there's this other person he has become interested in. It's not his wife, not his wife. Bathsheba, who happens to be married, but she's, Bathsheba, she's about 21 years old. David's about 50. Now, this is a crazy thing here. He's 50, she's 21. If that weren't kind of scandalous enough, a 30-year difference in their ages, I'm not, I'm not making a commentary here. It's, it's a little scandalous. But if that weren't scandalous enough, number one, she's married. He's married many times over. But it gets worse because more than likely Bathsheba, at 21 years old, her family was a friend of David's. And more than likely, she grew up in and around court, David's court, which means he was there. She was a toddler. He probably bounced her on his knee as a little girl. And here she is now, not a little girl anymore. She's 21 years old. But it gets even more scandalous. She's about the same age as David's oldest son, Amnon, who is about 20 years old. Interesting, huh? And you see, many of David's other children are now teenagers. They are around, and they are observing everything that I'm getting ready to describe and what follows. And what a lasting impression as David is planting all of these seeds into the lives of his family and his children. What an impression they are getting of their father all of this is getting ready to happen as they see David, their father, the king, who's getting ready to hit on one of their peers who happens to be married. So here we have David, the king, who's married times 20. And he has his eye on this married young woman and so David contacts her. He contacts her. They have an affair. She gets pregnant. David, now the powerful king, abuses further his position as king. And he arranges for her husband, who also happens to be a friend of David's. He arranges for her husband to be killed. David arranges his murder. And then David marries her. Now, David's family is not stupid. They see all of this transpire, all of this go down right in front of them. They know about the adultery. They hear rumors of a pregnancy. And they see their father beginning to lie and twist the truth and conspire. And then they hear about what happened to her husband as he was killed. And his children, David's children, understand what's going on. And now they see their father marry Bathsheba. And wow, suddenly, surprise, he's pregnant. His children see this adulterous cover-up, this murder. His children see all of this go down. And this moment ushers into the life of David and his family a 20-year decline. 
But I want to hit pause for just a moment. I want to back up for just a moment. I want to leave the murder. I want to leave the lies and the cover up and leave the adultery. I want to go back all the way back for just a moment to the very beginning when God created and God God established a plan, an actual plan for his family. And it was with Adam and Eve as he establishes this plan. I know this sounds old school, but Jesus believed this stuff. That's why I believe it. He established the plan for family. It was a man. And then there was a woman. And the two became one flesh. Not the three. Not four. Not not eight plus ten concubines like David had. No, one man and one woman in one marriage. You see, any departure from God's ideal or God's plan, any drifting away from what God has planned and what God has designed, and I know, I already know, I know it sounds so old school, but anytime we choose to leave God's plan, we are bringing into our lives and our family's life a world of pain and hurt and potentially harm. You see, I don't believe God had planned for me to be a workaholic and to love my work more than I loved my family. I don't think that was His plan. And when I chose to depart from that plan, I brought into my life and my family real pain and real hurt. Anytime we choose to depart and to leave God's plan, that's what happens. And look at now the life and structure of David's family. That's all the way back to the beginning. Now let's go back to David. At this point in David's life, there are six sons from six different wives. And then in Jerusalem, more wives and more children are added to that. The very structure of David's family is a departure from God's plan. He chose to do it another way. And he is creating, David is creating in his family, among the wives, a world of competition. Who has David's heart and attention? David has created a world of competition among his children, among the wives. Who has David's heart and David's attention? And he has created in his life a world of hurt. And then to that already hurting family, let's add to that now the abuse of power and the adultery. Let's add to that the pregnancy and the lies and the murder. Murder! Let's add all of that to that. And now a new marriage. And this is a disaster in David's life that will play out for another 20 years. So let's kind of pick up this story where David now finally gets married to this woman who used to be a child in his court. She gets pregnant, he has her husband killed, and they get married. David's spiritual advisor, and the spiritual advisor really for all of Israel, but his personal accountability partner personally comes to David. 
and he calls him out and he's basically saying, David, God knows about this. He has watched it all, seen it all, and he is not happy with what you have done and what you are doing. And in that moment, David does something amazing. I mean, this is just crazy amazing. It is the opposite of ego. He does the opposite of self-righteousness. He doesn't try to defend himself or make a case or excuse it away or blame it away on somebody else. No, he does none of that. He takes his back, which has been facing God. He had his back to God, and he was just all up into this sin and, and this evil and this, and this murder and the plotting, all of this mess he was involved in. His face was there. His back was to God, and he does the unthinkable. He takes his back and and puts it to the sin and he takes his face and he pursues God and faces God David in this moment when he's confronted with this does not jump up and roar no he shrinks down and he says I was wrong and instead of running towards that sin he now puts his back to the sin and he runs towards God and here's what we learn from this repentance keeps my face it keeps my face towards God and my back toward the sin now i chose that word very specifically i i i didn't want to use the word it keeps our back to sin Although that's a good concept. We want to keep our back to, the, to, to sin. Keep our back to sin. That's good. That's a big picture. But repentance doesn't keep our back to sin. Repentance keeps our back to the sin. The problem. Not just sin in general. It keeps our back to the specific sin that has haunted us and drug us down into this position. That's the sin we got to put our back towards. The sin. And we have an amazing picture in Scripture of David doing just that. We have it written down and recorded by David himself. This was the, the process of David repenting and placing his face, pursuing God, facing God, and putting his back towards sin. And we're going to pick it up in Psalm chapter 51. It's actually the 51st Psalm, not a chapter. The 51st Psalm, we're going to read it starting with verse 1. Here it goes. David pleads, he says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin, he says. Verse 2, wash me clean, purify me from my sin. Verse 3, for I recognize, in other words, he's saying, I admit it, I see it, it was me, God, I did this. I'm not trying to blame or point. I'm not trying to push it off on someone else or minimize it, make it seem like less, that it's not really a big deal. God, it's a big deal. I did it. It's me. I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you and you alone I have sinned. I have done, God, what is evil in your sight. Listen to what he says. You will be proved right in what you do in what you say and your judgment against me is just. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God, whatever you do and whatever you say, I deserve it. Do you know what the punishment for adultery is in God's law in Israel at this time? It's death. And David says, whatever you do, God, I deserve it. 
I've earned it. I deserve every bit of it, whatever you do. And then listen to what he says in verse 5. For God, I was born a sinner. Now this concept, I'm just going to say, you need to listen to our last series. I think it's only four weeks long, I think. Our last series, it's called Evil Does It. And it breaks that down completely through that series. I was born a sinner. David said, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. He said, I didn't even have to wait till I was born. When I was conceived, there was something in my DNA that was screwed up and messed up, and it was there. I was born a sinner. I, from the moment I was conceived, he said. Verse 8. But God, you desire honesty from the womb. Even from the womb, he said, you desire holiness and perfection. And he was saying, you were teaching me wisdom. Even there, amazing. I, I can't explain that. Just amazing. Verse 7, David says, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. God, you can clean me. Only you can clean me from this mess. He said, wash me. And I will be whiter than snow. Verse 8. Oh, oh God, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Verse 9. Don't keep looking at my sins. You know, the amazing thing is, this is the Old Testament. You know how God sees you? Part of God's plan in the New Testament, if you have given your life to Jesus, to God, through Jesus, if you've done that, God does not look at your sins anymore. He doesn't. When God looks at you, He doesn't see the screw-up that we have made of our lives. He doesn't see that. When God looks at you, if you have given your life to Jesus, God sees the holiness of Jesus when He looks at you. It's not your holiness. It's Jesus. David says, don't Look, don't keep looking at my sin. He said, remove the stain of my guilt. And then he says in verse 10, create in me a clean heart. O God, renew a loyal spirit within me. In verse 11, do not banish me from your presence. In other words, God, I just now, I came back to you. I'm facing you. I'm pursuing you once again. Don't kick me out. Don't boot me out. Don't make me leave. Don't make me turn my back. Please, I want to pursue you. And then he said, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And in the New Testament, that's part of the whole Jesus thing. God will never, if he's given you his spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's placed his spirit in you and he will never take it away. But in the Old Testament, David knew God's spirit would land on somebody and be withdrawn, land on and be withdrawn. And that's what happened to King Saul. David knew this. And David is saying, God, I know I've blown it. Please don't take your spirit from me. And then verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And notice, it is not my salvation. I can't earn it. David can't earn it. We can't deserve it. No way. We don't deserve it and we never will. And David said, this is yours, God. You've given it to me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey. In other words, I have really blown it here. I need some help, God. 
Verse 13, then I will teach your ways to the rebels. And guess what, God, by the way, I'm one of those. And they will return to you. Verse 14, forgive me for shedding blood. David said, I murdered a man. Oh, God, who saves when you do all of this for me, then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Verse 15, unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Verse 16, you do not desire sacrifice or I would offer one. In other words, God, there's nothing I can do to make this better. There's nothing I can do or I would try to do it. He said, you don't want a burnt offering. You don't want me just to look holy and worshipful and just go through some motions spiritually. You don't want that. Verse 18. I'm sorry, verse 17. The sacrifice you desire, God, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Verse 18, look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. In other words, God, this is as if I have destroyed your country. I need you to rebuild this. And he said, God, this, I have destroyed myself. I need you to rebuild me. Verse 19, then when you rebuild me, God, then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit with burnt offerings and the whole burnt offerings. And then the bulls again will be sacrificed on your altar. We are seeing in the life of David what repentance is. Repentance keeps my face toward God and my back to the sin. The sin. My face towards God and my back to the sin. Repentance means I am turning my life around. I was running toward that sin. Not just sin, that sin. And I'm going to stop and I'm going to turn. I'm going to run towards God. And here's what we're seeing. Repentance. Yes. Yes. Repentance is good. We see with repentance, we see forgiveness. Yes, forgiveness. But, oh, we hate to hear that word. But, because we know behind the but comes something bad. Forgiveness, yes. Repentance, yes. But, but, still there are consequences. Even if we have repented, even if we have asked forgiveness, and here's why. Those seeds have been sown. And yes, what we have sown can be forgiven. What we have planted, those seeds we planted, yes, God can forgive them, but we cannot unplant those seeds. You see, we have chosen in our lives an action. And by doing so, when we choose an action or a behavior, when we choose that, we are also choosing the consequences that come with it. Teenager, I know you get angry at your parents when they take your phone away. I know you do. I'm just going to be honest with you, though. It's not your parents' fault. When we make a choice 
there's a consequence that comes with it. So if we choose that action or that behavior or that attitude, then we are also choosing for ourselves. Yeah, I'll take that consequence along with it. I'm going to say this. I'm going to do this. And I, yeah, I'll take, I'll take the consequence, whatever that may be. Maybe you lose your phone. I want to tell you this, though. Losing your phone is a lot less expensive than the consequences you will face as an adult. If we don't learn it when we're 13, if we don't learn it when we're three, it gets worse at 13. It gets really bad at 18. But it gets horrendous at 21 and 40 and 50. The truth is that when we confess our sin to God, it is forgiven. He forgives that sin. However, the consequences of that sin remain. The person who sows his wild oats, I don't know what wild oats are. I, I don't know if you can cook them and eat them. I don't know if they're good, cold, or hot. I have no idea what a wild oat is. I just know for my whole life, people have sown them. And I'm sure I have too. But people who have sown their wild oats, and then when it comes time for harvest, they have prayed for crop failure. I'm just going to be honest with you. God is pro He can, and He might, but He probably is not going to answer that prayer. David confessed his sin, and David was forgiving, forgiven, but however, the consequences of that sin remained. Now, God sent this prophet, his name was Nathan, sent this prophet to David, and God said to this prophet, something is going to happen, you need to tell David, this child that has been conceived from this affair, this child is going to die. Now, by no means am I saying that if you have had a tragedy in your family, that that's God saying there's a consequence. No, I am not saying that. This is isolated in this moment to David. And, and here's proof. He sent a prophet to David to say, God said, this is going to happen. That probably has not happened for you. So I'm not saying that for your life. This was a consequence for David. I'm not talking about you. For David. But you know what else was a consequence? God said, David, violence is not ever going to leave your home while you're alive. Never in your family. I'm not just talking about you going to war and fighting other countries. No, David. There's going to be violence in your family. From now on. And, and that's what happened. You see, we have this tendency to separate God's mercy and God's judgment, saying, oh, thank you for your mercy. And we are thankful for his mercy. And then we kind of think, well, then there shouldn't be judgment, right? No, that's not how it works. We can't separate judgment and mercy. It goes together. 
And yes, even in the judgment that David is facing, the consequences here of what he has done, God in this is still full of mercy. Full of mercy. And here we have David. He was forgiven. David repented. But he suffers the consequences of those seeds that he planted. Now you may be thinking, Harley, wow. Aren't you just a cheerio today? Wow, I'm so glad I came to church. I'm so glad I'm listening online. I'm so glad I, I'm here. I mean, you're just so bright and happy. Wow, I feel better. Not at all. You might be thinking, Harley, what? I'm trying to make a difference in my... Yeah, there's all of that junk in my trunk. But I'm trying to make a difference right now. I know I've messed up. I know I have screwed up. I know. I want to make a difference now. And I'm trying now. And here's what I say. Great. Because you're going to. Yes. Hang in here with me. Don't give up on me because today is tough. It is because it's tough on me too. I promise you. Don't give up on me. We're, we're going to give you more in the next two weeks that will be encouraging. Today, here's what I, I want you to know. Hang tight here. When we screw up, and we repent. We begin to face and pursue God and put our back towards the sin, that sin, that one that I've been, that's been just hounding, that one. My face towards God. And God gives me forgiveness. And yes, yes, the, the consequences, some of those will linger. Maybe even for months or years, they can linger. Yes, they can linger. But for today, here's a question. Does it mean, does it mean that God's going to take his love away from me because I've blown it? And here's the answer. Not at all. No, he won't. He will not. You see, somehow, I, I don't understand this but I am so grateful for it. God loves sinners, just like David. Had an affair. And then he murdered a guy. Had the guy murdered. It was him. He did it. God loves sinners just like David. And God loves sinners just like me. And God loves sinners like our other pastors. God loves sinners just like you. God loves sinners. And the amazing, I don't understand why, but He does. God uses repentant sinners like me and like you. Flawed people, flawed men and flawed women like us. God uses us somehow. You see, God can write very straight with crooked lines. God chooses 
to use broken, repentant people. Perhaps God shouldn't have to. Uh, Maybe He shouldn't have to, but He does. He does. You see, God knowing, God is all-knowing. He's omnipotent, He's omniscient. I mean, there's so many omnis that God is. But one of those is, He knows all. God cannot learn. There's nothing He can learn. God knows. God knew the decisions that David would make in his future. He already knew that. He knew the decisions. But knowing what David was going to do, all of those things, that he was going to marry all those women, that he was going to uh, have an affair with a 21-year-old, that he was going to have her husband killed, God knew all of that. And yet, God wrote this in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. I, God said, I will be his David. I will be his father and he will be my son. David was adopted into the family of God, God's very own family. Even though God knew that David was going to blow it, that he was going to mess up, that he was going to turn his back on God. God still said, David, you are mine. I am choosing you, David, even though you will not always choose me. And then as any good father would do, he goes on, he says, If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. The rod. Ouch. But necessary. Verse 15 but my favor will not be taken from him as I look, as I took it, he said, from Saul, whom I removed from your sight, he says. Verse 16, your house, David, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. And you know what he's promising? That your throne is going to be the throne that the Messiah comes through. Jesus is going to come through. That's why it will be forever. And he said that to David, who he knew would mess up so badly in the future. And he said that to him right there. Are there consequences to our sin? Yes, there are always. But does God withdraw his love from you? No, not his children, not his child ever. We should never doubt That God loves us no matter how deep our flaws, no matter how bad, how serious our sins are. God will never, ever forsake his children. Now, he may allow us to experience some consequences from the decisions that we make our sin. He will, just as he did for David. He will. But he will never withdraw his love. The love of a father, he'll never withdraw it. Wow. This morning, a very sober admonition for us. Consequences for our choices and our actions and our behaviors, they most often remain. But God does not remove His love from you. This morning, I want to encourage you. Perhaps you have planted some seeds 
And you are experiencing consequences in your life as a result of that. But I want you to know this this morning. Every single one of us, myself included, we can plant new seeds that will grow now. Seeds of repentance. Here's a question for you. Has there been some kind of sin... Some specific sin, some behavior, some action that, that you keep going toward and putting your back to God and facing that behavior, that action, that habit. Is there something you have been facing and putting your back towards God? And it may not be all the time, because obviously you're here this morning. And this morning we're saying, God, we want to face you. We want to pursue you. But when we leave here during the week, is there something that has been calling your name and getting your attention and you have been facing it and putting your back towards God intermittently in your life? What is that for you? Because we at Stuttgart Harvest Church, all of us together, we want to help each other begin to plant new seeds, seeds of repentance. And repentance keeps my face towards God and my back to the sin. Now the Bible describes in the Hebrew language sin with three different words in Hebrew. I don't have time to break this down. I wish I did. We'll do that maybe another time. Three different words. But David in Psalm 51, he uses all three of those Hebrew words to describe, God, I have blown it. And he uses each type of sin description to say, that was me. And this one type of sin... This one description, this one word to describe sin is the very same word that describes, the same word, no change at all. It's the very same word that not only describes sin, but it also describes something else. It describes the sin offering. The sin offering. So this one word describes the sin, but it also describes how God has made a provision for that sin. The sin offering. The same word. Isn't that amazing how God has taken our sin and He has provided a sin offering. And that offering for you and that offering for me, that offering was Jesus on the cross as he died for your sin and my sin and the sins of the world. Jesus was the, the sin offering. God made a provision for you and for me and we obtained that through repentance. It's the starting place. Repentance can change your life, change the direction of your life. Repentance will plant new seeds into your future. Repentance will plant new seeds into the lives of your children. Now, for your children, whether or not those seeds grow, that's up to them. But the seeds of repentance that you plant with your Heavenly Father always grow. Some of you for the very first time this morning are saying, Harley, I have been learning about God my, my whole life. I've been in and out of church. I've been listening. I've been learning. 
I've done some things, followed some things, and then I haven't others. And I've turned my back on God at times. But listen, I've been learning. And I've learned some things here at Stuttgart Harvest Church as well as I've been coming here. But now I'm ready. I'm ready to take it to the next level. I don't want to just learn. I am ready to give, submit my life, this life that I've been given, and give it to God. I'm ready to repent to face God, to pursue God, and put my back towards that sin that has been killing me and pursuing me and haunting me. And guess what happens? When we submit, we give our lives to God, He welcomes us home. So for those of you this morning listening on Facebook Live, or you right here this morning in my presence, here's what I'm asking. If that is you, if that's where you are in your life right now, then here's the conversation I want you to have with God. And I'm going to help you have it, but it can happen right in your heart. You don't need to say these things even out loud. God is listening to you in this moment. And here are some questions for you in your heart right now. Have you blown it in some way in this life? The Bible calls that sin. Have you blown it? If you have, tell God. Tell Him right now. Just in your heart, just tell Him. And here's another question. Are you responsible? I'm not talking about the things you're not responsible for, but those things that you have done and said, those things that you've been a part of, those things that are called sin, are you responsible for that? And if you are, which let me give you a hint, you are. If you are, talk to God about that. Don't try to point fingers. Don't try to lessen it. Don't try to blame others. If you, if you are, talk to God about that right now. Here's another question. Are you ready to willingly give Him your life? Now let, let's talk about what that means. What, what does that mean to give Him your life? Are, are you, Harley, do you mean I'm giving Him my Sunday and I'm going to start coming to church now? That I'll give him that hour on Sunday, but then like Monday through Saturday, that's my time. I'll do what I want then, but I'm going to give him that hour on Sunday. Is that No, that's not giving him your life. That's maybe loaning him an hour. That's not giving him anything. The cost was so high. The cost that was paid for your life. Do you know what it was? It was the life of Jesus. Now, do you know what the cost is to you to receive that? Oh, it's great. The cost is your life. You say, God, I have been making my own decisions and doing my own thing. I have been my boss doing it my way. At times listening to you. But now, God, this life, you purchased it at the cross. And I submit it. I give it. You are now the owner of this life. You have given me. I give it back to you. If that's what you're doing, talk to God about it right now in your heart. And here's what I have to say. 
If you are submitting your life to God, saying, God, it's yours. Then here's what I know God's word says. It says, welcome home. He has now adopted you into his family. You are now his. Some of us this morning, we have already done that at some point and submitted, but something got our attention and changed our focus, and we slowly turned our back to God, and we began to pursue and face this sin, this thing. For those of us who are, God is saying, I've never taken my love from you. Come back home. Come back home. And the way we get back home is the same way we got there in the first place, really. It's repentance. We just simply say, okay, God, I'm going to pursue you and face you, and I'm going to put my back towards the sin, that sin. And to help you do that, here's what we're going to ask you to do this morning. Will you read Psalm 51? The one we just read, Psalm 51. Will you read it this week? Many, many times. Maybe every day. Maybe several times a day. I don't know. Whatever you're called to do and you feel you need to do, will you read that, Psalm 51, and bring it deep, deep down into your life? Psalm 51, it is all about facing God and putting your back towards that sin, the sin. And for all of us, as you leave today, will you pick up one of these. It's on both ends as you leave. Will you just take one of these just to remember? There's a verse on there to encourage you. The bottom line is on there. Take that, place it somewhere where you'll see it. And then don't forget, in there also is one of these, a little glass vial. This is really glass, so if you put it in your pocket, it might break. So don't carry this around in your pocket. And don't set it somewhere where a child can get it, because this they will choke. We don't want, we want you to take this and it's also in that same container where these are. So reach down. It's going to be a little slower getting out this morning, but just be calm and patient. Grab one of these and grab one of these as you leave. This is a little glass vial, and it's full of little seeds, beautiful little potential wildflowers, beautiful flowers. And will you take one of these? We're not asking you to plant these seeds. We're asking you to take these in this glass little vial and set this somewhere where you will see it to remind yourself. You, many of you, are choosing to plant new seeds in your life. Yes, there may be some junk right now, but you're choosing, maybe you're choosing with us to plant new seeds of repentance in your life, keeping your face toward God and your back toward the sin. Let's pray. God, we ask that you have mercy on us. And why can we ask for mercy, God? Because we know of your unfailing love. And God, we know of your compassion. And we ask that you blot out the stain of our sins. For God, we recognize our rebellion. And we ask that you wash us clean from our guilt and purify us from our sin. In the name of Jesus, our Redeemer, we pray. Amen.